0: See everyone is out this evening. I think the rain waited and came a little late, but nonetheless, glad you're here. Glad you're safe, as Zachary said in the prayer. And I trust we'll have a good study together tonight. I want us to uh, go back and look at another lesson in the life of Peter. I'm deliberately, even though this is sort of a running theme in the life of Peter, um, I'm trying to take selected incidents out of his life, and I'm really trying to emphasize different aspects of his character um, in the various stories. So hopefully we'll continue to do that tonight, and uh, again, hopefully also we will see sort of a mirrored image of our own character, Um, not always perfect, to be sure, as Peter was certainly not, and yet hopefully as we're emphasizing, especially this quarter, there's strength in you, and you find strength in, in Peter as well. If you want to, turn to Matthew chapter 16, and I will spend a good portion of the lesson um, in that passage. I will veer off from it uh, occasionally, but nonetheless, um, come back to it. Uh, let me say, um, I've heard a number of comments about these lessons, and I appreciate that. Not that I'm doing a good job, but that the lessons are helpful. Um, you're enjoying looking at the life of Peter. I think a lot of us, uh, the character of Peter resonates with us, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that is the point. Uh, but I'm glad you're, you're uh, you know, enjoying, appreciating, or whatever, these lessons, and uh, getting something out of it. As we go to Matthew 16, you are well into the public ministry of Jesus. When we, um, we looked at the story last time in John 6... We were closer to the beginning than the end, and as we look at this story, we're closer to the end than the beginning of that three-and-a-half-year period. Peter has been with Jesus uh, for some time now. There is a strong relationship, and it is obvious, that has already formed between them. We will come to learn later and see later that they are not only Lord and um, Apostle, not only Master and Disciple, but they are, in fact, friends. They are probably, as far as age is concerned, uh, very close in age. Peter may be a little older, but nonetheless, they are close in age. They are friends. And that becomes more and more evident. And it may be because of that, that Peter, who is already given to and prone to speak up, answer, etc., um, and that's not always wrong. We saw in John 6 that was a great thing that he did, but it may be one reason why. If you're in a group of people, and especially if there's a difficulty or a difficult question or whatever, you are far more at ease to speak up, to answer, to respond to your friend. And I think we may see some of that. That doesn't always mean you'll be right. And especially in a situation like this, you may make uh, what amounts to a serious mistake. But we'll get to that. As you look at Matthew 6... Jesus has come into the area of Caesarea Philippi. You can see that in verse 13. And as he comes into that area, gathered with, no doubt, a group of people, he asked a question, very pointed question, probing question. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, and the Son of Man would be his most common reference to himself, but who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so, no doubt, Jesus already knows the answer to this question. I think that's obvious. But also, it is one that draws out maybe a lot of misconceived ideas, um, misconceptions that people have, and he's probing for that. So who do people say I am? Well, you'll notice the answers that are given here in Matthew 16. They said, verse 14, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Now, if you know the chronology here, you know that John the Baptist is dead. Herod has already killed him. So you'd have to be, if you're John the Baptist, you'd have to be raised from the dead. You're John the Baptist, risen from the dead would be the idea. Others thought he was, as you notice and go on here, others thought he was, notice Elijah. Now there's some debate about that. Do they mean the resurrected Elijah or Elijah, um, the Elijah, the prophet, from some 800 years earlier, that, um, I mean, he is literally the reincarnation. Or, he's Elijah. Since Elijah never died, he's just Elijah. Come back to earth to finish his life. Or maybe they mean the Elijah that Malachi talked about. In Malachi 3, West read Isaiah 40, prepare you the way in the wilderness and all of that this morning. It was a prophecy of John the Baptist that Jesus would clearly say... And that Jesus has made the point a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew that that Elijah Malachi was talking about, that was John the Baptist. But people out there don't understand all of that, so maybe they think you're Elijah. Or they think you are, as you notice here in verse 14, they think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Again, I think the emphasis here is, For whatever reason, maybe what he says, maybe what he does, maybe a combination of both. Maybe it is because they've never seen anything like this. They think he is someone that's risen from the dead. And someone certainly likened unto all those great men, those strong men, an Elijah, a Jeremiah, an Isaiah, whomever it might be from the Old Testament. He's got to be one of those guys because nobody living in our day is like that except for... John the Baptist, and he's dead, and but maybe this is him risen from the dead. You notice there's a lot of confusion about Jesus, a lot of misunderstanding. Now I don't believe it is because if we go back and we look if we were to put together, and we're not going to do that, but every narrative that's just recorded, and that would only be a drop in the bucket to what he undoubtedly had said for some previous two to our two-plus years. If we were to put every bit of that together, Jesus certainly has never claimed to be a prophet risen from the dead, and he's never claimed to be anything other than he is. And he's been very straightforward about saying who he is, but they didn't get it. And so they're simply looking, a lot of times like we do, they look, they hear something, somebody says something, you know, and we're prone as human beings to buy into that kind of thing, especially conjecture on the part of somebody else. And that's how rumors get started, and that's how they're fostered, and on and on it goes. So, who do people say I am? Well, they're saying all of this. All right, well, next he says, if you notice in verse 15, more importantly then, you're my disciples, you follow me around, you listen to me, you hear what I say, you see what I do, whom do you say that I am? Now, this is when Peter is going to step forward. And Peter is going to answer. He's going, you know, he's like the guy that, um, you know, I've got the answer, I'm going to give you the answer. But whom do you, I want to know what this group gathered. I want to know what you think. I want to na- know what you say. You will notice Peter's answer here. If you're looking at verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. That is the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah from the Old Testament. You are the Christ. You are the Son. Of the living God. Now you may want to hold your finger there in that passage and turn back to John 6 and verse 69, and that would be what we looked at last time, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago. And if you notice in John 6 and verse 69, depending on your translation, which means depending on which group of original texts that translation followed, I'm not going to go any deeper into it than that. But you will either have this exact same confession out of Peter, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, or you will have something that will say like you are the Holy One of God. And if you look at all of that kind of textual criticism, then you would see that most scholars will go the direction that what Peter said in John 6 was in fact, you are the Holy One of God. Now why am I going through all of that? What's the point? Some would say Peter's faith is growing here, that it's a more mature faith, it's an advanced faith, that if you go back to John 6, he says you're the Holy One of God, that can mean a whole lot of things. It can mean you're the Son of God. It can mean you're a prophet sent from God. But there is no question, by the time you get to Matthew 16, that Peter clearly understands. I'm not one of those that believes he has a developing understanding of Jesus, I would go all the way back to John 1 and say there's evidence there that he knew who he was. But nonetheless, certainly by Matthew 16, this confession he makes, he gets it dead on. He's exactly right. Uh, on point, as people might say today. You know? He is on point. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's exactly who you are. Now you will notice how Jesus answers because there's a lot of controversy that grows out of this passage, and I'm going to deal with that, and I'm going to deal with the the issues, but then I'm also going to focus on Peter's character here, because I think that's what's important. So let's deal with the issue. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verses 17 and 18, read them with me. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, our son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I say unto you, You are Peter, and upon this rock, or literally in the original, upon this Peter, upon Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, King James says, but its Hades shall not prevail against it. There's a lot of controversy that grows out of that for a number of reasons. One is the confession he makes. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Does he understand that, and he's the only one? Because certainly, if you look at what everybody else is thinking that Jesus is, he's not any of that. And if you go on deeper into the text and you get closer to the crucifixion, and even after the crucifixion, people don't understand. But Peter here, at least at this moment, Peter knows exactly who Jesus is. But you'll also notice, and the greater controversy falls to what Jesus actually said. Jesus answered and said unto him, Him alone, no doubt in the original it's a a singular, he's speaking to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it unto you. And this would be the way that it is stressed. He's revealed it unto you. And upon this, on this basis, on this confession, on this faith, on you, Peter, some would say, I will build my church. Now it behooves us then to go to the text and try to figure out exactly what Jesus is saying. So we'll start by asking some questions. My Father has revealed this unto you. Was Jesus saying, you may look at your outlines here and you'll see this down under point number three on the front page. Was Jesus saying that Peter had been especially endowed with higher knowledge? Now notice what I'm saying there. That this was not something Peter could have discerned, or reasoned, or learned from Scripture, but that this was something that God just had to directly and miraculously give him so that he would understand, and only he alone would understand That would be the question. So as Jesus is saying that Peter has been especially endowed with higher knowledge, and if that's so, then go on with me to verse 18, because... That would be connected to it if you're buying into that line of reasoning. And I say also unto you, Peter, specifically, that you, no, no, rather, uh, and verse 18, I will give unto you, lost my place there for a minute, I will give unto you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you, Peter, shall bind on earth, or literally, um, in the original, shall bind on earth, it will have been bound in heaven, and whatsoever you, Peter, shall loose on earth, it will have been loosed in heaven. So here would be the right just put it in simple language. What Peter, what Jesus is saying to Peter is this: God the Father has endowed you and endued you with special knowledge, and only you get it, and that's why you can make this confession, this doctrinal confession that you make that I am the Christ, the Messiah. You're right that I'm the son of the living God, you're right. But more than that, God is going to go on giving you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. That is, you, Peter, singularly alone are going to be given from heaven that which you will then bind on the earth and that which you will then loose on the earth. And so, Peter becomes then the single greatest human figure in the kingdom, in the Lord's church, in the days to come. Now, is Jesus saying that? So that would mean, and if we believe that line of reasoning, that would mean that Peter indeed speaks for God. You will bind on earth what has been bound in heaven. You will loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. So Peter will speak for God. He will deliver the doctrine of God, you see. He will bind and loose commandments and doctrines. He will be, vicariously, he will be, in the place of Jesus Christ on earth. And that would be the the way that people would reason. So in fact, if that's true, go back to verse 18, if that's true, then Jesus is saying, and you in that position and with that authority and with that power, I'll build my church on you. You will become the rock, the Peter, in that sense, Petra, literally, the feminine form of the word Peter you will become the very foundation of the church. Is that what Jesus is saying? Now, I'll let that resonate with you for a second, and I'm going to ask you a second question. Or, and this is the big or. Or is Jesus saying that Peter has been given higher knowledge? No no question about that. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. I do want you to hold your finger here, though, and turn over to John 6 for a moment. Let's go back in time a little bit in Jesus' ministry to this great event, pivotal event we talked about a couple of weeks ago in John 6. you remember what Jesus said in John 6? And I'm going to verse 29 again, and I emphasize this in the lesson. When Jesus said, this is the work of God. Remember he said, don't work for the bread that perishes and all of that. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he, God the Father, has sent. Okay, so that's my work. That's my job, to believe and to understand who Jesus is, and thus to believe in him. But I want you to drop down a little later in the narrative, if you'll go down to verse 44. When Jesus went on to say, remember Peter would have been there, all the apostles would have been there. When Jesus said in verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. Okay, so... If I'm looking at that from a Calvinistic point of view, nobody has the ability to come to God unless God makes him come. You know, God just draws you in, sucks you in, and you really don't have any question about that. Well, no, he's not saying that. Because Jesus explains what he means. My Father who has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45. How is God going to draw? It is written in the prophets. You may remember last time, two weeks ago, I started, and you may want to turn your finger back, To chapter 5. And if you look back in chapter 5. Remember Jesus had said. And this is verse. What is it? 39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. How do you learn about Jesus? You go to the Bible. How did Jews learn about Jesus? They went to the Bible. How do you know who Jesus is? That he is the Christ. The son of the living God. Well you go to the Bible. So the question would be, how did Peter, how was Peter supposed to know who Jesus was? He was supposed to go to the Bible. He was supposed to search the Scriptures. Now let's see if that's what Jesus is saying. Go back to John 6. Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Verse 45, he learns of God through the written scriptures and comes to me. And he comes to me because the Father is drawing him through the word. So let's go back to Matthew 16. What does Jesus mean? And I will confess to you that Jesus may very well mean a combination of both. Now that may sound contradictory, but please hear me out. I believe that Jesus would say the greatest testimony to who he is is the written word of God. The same as it is for you sitting here today. But Peter is also in a special category. Not alone, mind you. But if we were to go back to Matthew 10, we would see Peter is in a special category. Uh, the group of apostles who have been inspired by God. Who have the Holy Spirit teaching them and guiding them. He may mean that. So Jesus may mean, in short, in simple language, Jesus certainly means, Peter, you have heard me teach the Scriptures, you've seen me point to the passages in the Old Testament about me, myself, and you've picked up on that. And God has revealed to you who I am. He certainly means that. But he may also mean, Peter, you are an apostle. So you're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so God, my Father, has revealed to you this knowledge, helped you put it all together through inspiration to know that I am the Christ. He may also mean, but I don't think so. Okay, I'll just tell you that. He may mean, when I ask this question just now, whom do you, that is all of you gathered in my presence, whom do you say that I am, that God selected you, and zapped into your head this confession that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. He may mean that, and the language would allow it, and just don't personally see that at this point. Regardless, the point in the passage, when Jesus is saying to Peter, you've made this confession, and I think that he is saying, I believe Scripture is showing here, you've got this faith. And it is upon the basis of that confession, upon the basis of that faith, that I build my church. Now, why would I say that? Well, let's go back and look at it. Whom do men say I am? Verse 17. Or verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17. Blessed are you. Now, the word blessed means it's a word for approval. So it means you're approved. That's good. That's the right answer. So blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. In other words, you didn't just get, you didn't just make a good guess. It's kind of like when you throw a question out to a classroom and somebody guesses right. There's not a whole lot of merit to that. They just happen to make the right guess. He's saying, that didn't happen here. Now my father revealed it unto you by any or a combination of those means we said earlier. But I say unto you, verse 18, you are Peter. You are the rock. And I believe that the point he's making here is, you're the rock, which means you're going to stay with it, you're going to stick with it, right or wrong, you're going to speak up, because there are going to be times when he speaks up and it's not right, and we're going to see one of them this afternoon. But right or wrong, he is the rock. He doesn't quit, he doesn't go back in the sense of he doesn't give up, he keeps coming back, and if he gets knocked down, he comes back for more, and that's exactly the faith. That God builds his church with. You're Peter. You're the rock. And upon this rock. I think he makes a play on words here. He does not say. And one of the reasons I said earlier. And I don't often get up here and throw Greek out. I mean what, what good does it do. But in this particular case. It is important. Because he does not say. Upon Peter. It is not the masculine form of rock like Peter's nickname. No, it's the feminine. It's a play on words. Now, why do I stress that? Because it's not Peter the church is built on. It is, and please listen carefully, it is not Peter the church is built on. It is people like Peter the church is built with. And there's a great difference. Why would I say that? Well, first of all, if we're talking about upon what rock the church is built, Scripture tells us that. Let's look at a couple of passages. And I lost my place here, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. I'll find it in a minute. 1 Corinthians 3. Let's read a couple of passages and note the rock upon which the church is built. Now, Paul was talking about building the church here. If we're looking at First Corinthians three, remember this is when Paul says, "I have planted Apollo's watered." you see that in verse six? And then he asks the question, "Who is Paul? What is Paul? And the answer really is, in the great scheme of things, nothing, no great significant human being. He is just the one by whom they learn the truth. But if you notice, as Paul yeah, that's where we're going to go, if you notice that where, where Paul then talks about the actual building of the church. You are God's building, he says. Look down at verse 9. You are God's building. We are laborers together with God. You are God's vineyard, God's husband. You are God's building. I will build my church. I'll build this building, this spiritual building made of human beings. But notice verse 10. You are God's building according to the grace which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation. On this rock I will build my church. I have laid this foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if we're looking at the phrase, upon this rock, I will build my church, and we're trying to see the foundation of the church, well, that's easy. The foundation of the church is Jesus, and he's the only foundation. Because Paul is clearly saying here, other foundation, no one can lay another foundation and build the Lord's church. The only foundation that can be laid is the one that already is laid, and that's Jesus Christ. But let's listen to Peter. Go over with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. If we listen to Peter himself, this is what Peter said about the Lord's church. And you'll see it is very similar here. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. If so be you have tasted that the Lord, Jesus, he's referring to, is gracious. To whom coming? Remember Jesus was talking about people coming to him? Okay, you people that I'm writing to have come to Jesus. To whom coming as unto a living stone. Notice that. Disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. Who's he talking about here? Obviously, Jesus. Notice verse 5. And you also, you see, you've come to a living stone. Upon this rock, I will build my church. You've come to that rock. You've come to that living stone. And the one that was disallowed of men, obviously all the treatment, the ill treatment he got from, from man and so forth, you've come to him. But you also, notice verse 5, are living stone. He is the living stone. You also are living stones. And notice that. You are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He clearly tells you who the rock is. Notice verse 6. Wherefore, that is why also, It is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, a rock. And that rock, as he goes on to talk about, is elect and precious. And he that believes in him, him who? The rock. He that believes in the rock becomes what? A living stone. He becomes a member of the church. Now think about that for a moment. You are Peter. You are the rock. And upon this rock, what rock? The faith, the belief that Jesus is the foundation, the rock. He that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, you living stones who believe he is precious, unto them he is disobedient. The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made. Notice, the head of the corner, the foundation stone is the idea. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Peter's making it clear. The church is not built on me. The church is built on Jesus. And it's built on Jesus with living stones who themselves believe what I confessed all the way back there in Matthew 16. That Jesus is the Son of God. That's why when someone comes forward and says, I want to be a Christian. You have to understand who Jesus is. You not have to know everything in the world, but you've got to understand that. You've got to know that he is the Son of God. You've got to confess that. And that's why we ask the question. A lot of times you'll see Wes or me, even in the water up here, and that's where I normally do it. So there can be no doubt. I ask them the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And they confess it. They'll say yes. They'll tell you they do in some fashion. And then based on that confession, they can become a Christian. It's that confession Jesus is talking about here. It's it's that belief Jesus is talking about here. It's like Paul would say in Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. Confession is made unto salvation. The same kind of confession that Peter is making here in Matthew 16. So in every sense, when you're looking at this passage in Matthew 16, and we ask the question, is Jesus pointing to Peter and saying to Peter, "You're the foundation of the church, and every successor to you—you you know, those who will be in that one single guy who will be in the same position you're in—that's upon that person I'll build the church." No, he's not saying that. He's saying Jesus is the foundation, and it is the belief in Jesus, the chief cornerstone, belief in Jesus, the foundation, belief that He is the Messiah, the Son of God, that the church, by which the church is built. And those people who confess that belief become living stones. Now we continue. Let's go back to Matthew 16 here, though. Because what happens after this, I mean, Jesus, you know, says that and obviously avows he's going to build his church. And does say, you know, in verse 19, he talks about the keys of the kingdom and all of that kind of thing. And then there's an interesting verse 20 where he says he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ uh, later time. It's almost like saying this is something that needs to be told, it needs to be said and as a matter of fact on the day of Pentecost you guys are going to say it and they do but not right now. This is not something that you need to run out there and tell everybody about right now. And Jesus will do that a number of times in the gospels. We see that. Not time to say this, not time to say that. The time is not yet that you are to do this or do that. I have many things to say to you, but not now. So Jesus tells them that. Well, verse 21, the narrative shifts a little bit here, but I want you to notice very importantly from that time at the beginning of verse 21, this is another point in the ministry where things change. If you were to put all four Gospels together, What you will see coming up to Matthew 16 is masses of people. In fact, you will will see times when the crowds will grow and Jesus will say something and the crowds will go down, like we saw in John 6. And it will do that rising and falling where great masses of people begin to be drawn to him and then he'll say something, some hard teaching, and they'll be turned away. You'll see that. But from that time in Matthew 16, things change. As I said, it's drawing close to the crucifixion here, even though it's Matthew 16 and not 20-something, but still it's drawing close. Now, read carefully what it says in verse 21. From that time, or from that time forth, began Jesus to show unto the disciples. Now, literally in the original, this word means to point out. Kind of like what I was reading from Luke 24 this morning at the table, where he, op- he was apparently opening those scriptures he was telling them to search. And he was going through them and pointing out from those things. Um, someone read here Isaiah 53 recently at the Lord's table. And that would be a passage you'd go to and you would point out those things that were to happen. And all the suffering and all the despicable treatment that he was going to receive. And, you, and Jesus would have been saying, that's me. And he would be showing them in no uncertain terms, pointing out to them, notice... How that he must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things. Remember all of that from this morning in Luke 24, where the angel said, you know, didn't you hear? He said to you. And so I take it this is not only the apostles, but it is that close group. It's those women, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and his own mother and others. It's those women, it's those men like, you know, the apostles, like the young man Mark, remember, who was there, (laughs) <laughs> on the on the night of the betrayal. It's that close group of disciples. Ones that stick with Him, go everywhere with Him, etc. He was pointing out in private teaching to them that He had to go to Jerusalem in particular because Old Testament prophecies would say so. He's got to suffer because many Old Testament prophecies say so. He's got to die because they say so. I mean, this was a foretold event. And he's got to rise from the dead if any of it is going to have any significance, and that they say. If you were to go, and I'm not going to take time tonight to do it, but go home and do this. Notice how Isaiah 53 talks about the lamb being slaughtered, killed, but he's not dead in the sense that we think of dead as dead and gone. no, The Father then begins to bless Him and give Him a kingdom. And He becomes the captain of their salvation. The husband to this group in Isaiah 54. By the sure mercies of David, Isaiah 55, they're saved. He's not dead. So what's got to happen if He dies but He's not dead? He's got to rise from the dead. And Jesus is saying, you know, I've been telling you that. We could go back to chapter 12 and remember where Jesus had said for everybody to hear The sign you're going to see is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, but then I'm coming back. Well, now he's pointing out those scriptures, and he's teaching them that. Now, Peter is listening to this. And we don't know as we look at this, because notice how it says it again in verse 21, from that time forth. I take it Jesus is doing this on a daily basis. Is it the first day, the first time He says it? The way a lot of people think of this is that Jesus meets with the apostles and He says, Who do people say I am? And Peter jumps up and says, You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Yeah, but i got to die. And Peter says, Oh, no! That's not what the Scripture says here. Now, Jesus may have been teaching day after day after day after day from the Old Testament Scriptures, and Peter's understanding may be growing even. And what, Je- what Peter is saying is, you're my friend, you're the one I believe in, you've got to be the Messiah, you've got to be the champion that we've been looking for, and all of these Old Testament Scriptures cannot be saved. You're going to die. That can't be what this is about. You going out here teaching people, multitudes of people coming to you, this cannot be what it's about. All of this just so you can die a horrible death. And so Peter pulls him aside, literally in verse 22. He took him, which literally means in the original, he took him aside or took him to himself. He separated Jesus from the group and he began to rebuke him. He's not just suggesting, Jesus, you sure you got this thing right? He is telling him in no uncertain terms, you are wrong. He's rebuking him and saying, be it far from you. You know what he's literally saying in that passage? He's saying, get that thought out of your mind. That is not what is going to happen to you. And I think Peter is even saying, because of what he will do later and we will see, I will not let it happen. Get that thought out of your mind. And Jesus turned, verse 23. Now, the word turned here doesn't mean Jesus was looking over there and Peter was standing at his back and rebuking him. That's not what it means. It is the word we use for convert, repent. And the idea here is Jesus completely changed from what we've just seen. Peter, you're the rock! You're the guy that will be there to the bitter end. He will be. But he's going to have a bumpy road on the way there. Now Jesus' mindset toward Peter is changed. You'll notice he doesn't start off saying here, you're the rock. He looks at Peter and he said, Peter, get you behind me, Satan. And the word Satan means an adversary. It's a one, it is, it is someone or something who is against you. And that's what the devil is. He is totally against you. What does Jesus say? I know that Jesus is opposing what Peter is saying, but I think it's more. Because you see, if you're a teacher, if you preach you preach like Wes and I do, we often will make the point To others and certainly to ourselves and to each other. I was preaching to myself today. I was preaching at me today. A lot of times the sermons you get, and I'll let you in on something, the most passionate sermons you get are usually the ones where one of us is standing up here really preaching at ourselves. And you're getting the benefit of that. But Jesus is human as well as being the Son of God. And when you know you've got to face something, Something very troubling. Do we know that the crucifixion and the whole idea troubled Jesus? Of course we do. We look at Luke 22. We look at those passages. We see Jesus in the garden. He's sweating. I mean, such huge drops of sweat. It's like blood. He's agonizing. He's saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus has a human response to this whole thing. And when you've got to go through something like that, you fortify yourself. I have no doubt that you Christians, when you've got to face something really hard, you start digging in the Scriptures. You start reminding yourself of what is there. Now, I know He's the Son of God, but He has a human response to that just like you do. The Scriptures fortify, they strengthen. And so He's going through with His disciples and He's pointing out page by page, that's me, that's what I came for, that's what I've got to do. What is that saying? It is building that resolve. And now here comes Peter and says, No way, Jack! You are not doing that! I will let that happen! Get behind me, Satan! That is not what we need here. And so he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense. You are a stumbling block to me. And notice how he says, You're not thinking the things that are of God but the things that are of men. You're not looking at it like God looks at it, like I've got to look at it as I go through it. You're not doing that. And then he went on and he addressed the disciples. It's almost like he comes back from that private meeting and for Peter and everybody's benefit, he begins to talk about what really is a prophet. A man loses his life to profit. A man gains when he gives his life. A man will not, a, a, a spiritual man, a godly man, will not trade anything for his own soul. And he teaches that for the benefit of Peter. And what he is saying to Peter is, you get in line with the correct thinking. I am the Son of the living God. I am the Christ, the Messiah. And that means I came to die. And that will be a lesson Peter will have to learn. And we'll come back to that point, and, but I'll say in closing, he ain't learned it yet. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, just like Peter had to learn, you've got to learn, I have to learn. that the only way I profit, really, is to lose my life for Jesus' sake. To believe Jesus, to trust Jesus, to take Jesus at His word, even if, like Peter, I don't understand it. I don't want it to be so. But if you're here tonight and you're in that position and you believe in Jesus, and you will make that confession that He's the Son of the living God. And tonight you will repent. You will change. And you'll do what's right. If you'll be baptized, your sins will be washed away. Maybe you're here and you've done that and you're still struggling. Like Peter. And you'd like to ask for the prayers of the people here. Won't you please come? Paul stand and sing.